Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. According to the Children's Heart Foundation, around the world, one million babies are born with heart defects each year. At least one in 100 children will be born with a heart defect. Some children will never know that they have a heart defect because they may just have innocent holes that will close up on their own. Some children won't learn about their heart defects until they fail a physical for a sport they are trying out for. Some people don't find out that they have a heart defect until they collapse on a playing field. More than 50% of the children born with a heart defect will need some surgical intervention at least once in their lifetime. Sadly, 100,000 babies around the world die each year because of their heart defects. The number of people who can benefit from life-saving surgery has risen dramatically over the last several decades. With improved surgical techniques, Medications and diagnostic tools, more people than ever before are being diagnosed, treated successfully, and living productive and happy lives. There are currently over 2 million congenital heart defect survivors alive, and their numbers are growing. For the first time in history, the number of adult survivors outnumbers the number of babies being born with congenital heart defects. I'm very excited about our show today, Congenital Heart Defect Awareness 2015, and today's guests are Rita and Victoria Scoggins. Rita Scoggins writes, until 1983, my knowledge of congenital heart defects was pretty much non-existent. I knew something about holes in the heart, but I never imagined that a baby could be born with important parts of the heart missing. When our daughter was born, my family was suddenly thrust into a new world, the world of closed and open-heart surgery performed on babies with hearts the size of a walnut. In 1994, I was finally able to connect with other heart parents through this new thing called the Internet. Since that time, I have tried to offer help, support, information, and hope to other parents starting and traveling on this heart journey. Last year, Victoria decided to do something to raise awareness about congenital heart defects. That is how the Wear Purple campaign got started. Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna, Rita. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for having me here. Well, I'm always happy to have you on the show. And as our longtime listeners know, this is Rita's second time on the show. And Rita is also a contributor to a book that I put together quite a while ago called The Heart of a Mother. And Rita wrote a wonderful essay about Victoria when she was in high school. And that was an essay I wanted so much to have when Alex was a baby. I wanted to know that my Fontan survivor could live to be a teenager. So thanks again, Rita, for writing that essay and giving me hope and giving so many other people all around the world hope for their teenage Fontaners. It's a great book. I enjoyed all the essays in it. I know, me too. I feel personally touched by every single one of them. Well, Rita, in your bio, you told us that you're a heart mom. But can you tell us a little bit more specifically what Victoria's heart defects are? Well, Victoria wasn't diagnosed until she was a month old, and we were rushed to Houston to Texas Children's Hospital. And she was diagnosed with hypoplastic right ventricle due to tricuspid atresia. She also had a coarctation of the aorta an ASD and a VSD, all those things that I knew nothing about at that time. 
didn't even understand mm-hmm. the terms they were using. Right. Learned really quickly, though. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You do. I, I think it helps that, that you are a teacher by trade. You're used to picking things up quickly, and there's nothing more important that we need to know than what our children are dealing with, don't you think? Correct, correct. So that first trip there when we were a month old, she had her co-arc repaired and a PA banding of her pulmonary artery because she was getting too much lead to her lungs. So that was the first surgery she had. And then in 1989, she had the Fontan. Right, right. So she was, what, six when she had her Fontan? yes, Uh uh-huh. Wow, that seems so old now, doesn't it? We see kids yes, having the Fontan much younger. I mean, <laughs> and her doctor was nine really months wanted old. Her, yes, her her doctor really wanted her to wait until she was ten at that time, oh, um, wow. mainly because he wanted them to have done more Fontans, but mm. she just couldn't wait that long. She was getting too blue and purple, and right. <laughs> needed right, to be right, have the surgery. <laughs> right, that's what that's we always kind of called the her. Color purple. for today's show, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> purple is the color to remember, my listeners. This is the color that we want to focus on, right. and, and there's a good reason for that. And even though she was purple, we're kind of glad that she was purple because she was still alive. But Correct. we certainly wanted her to be pink again. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely. Although there are still times so, when she turns purple, so. Well, yeah. Although she's I usually don't have pink. a heart defect, and yeah, I was gonna say I don't have a heart defect, and when I get really cold, we Texans we're just not used to the cold weather, and I turn that's blue. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not purple, but I do turn blue. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I are old parents here. We both are parents of adult children, and I just want you to give a little bit of history about what the internet did for you when all of a sudden in the 1980s, this whole new world opened up for you. Well, it was more like the 1990s when the internet... Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. It was actually, the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I probably started talking to some people in 93, but in 94, there were enough people on the internet that were heart parents that were talking to one another that a listserv was started, and so I jumped on that right away, of course, to become part of that, and it was just wonderful to finally have people to talk to who had children who were like my own, and right. it was so yeah, I think you and I met before. in 96, because so. I think Alex was two before... We got Internet out where I lived, and it was mm. dial-up back then. Do you remember right. that? Right. Yes, <laughs> it was dial-up. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's that was a whole different world. I can't wait to hear it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it opened up, like you said, it opened up a whole new world for us. We were able to reach out. I remember those listservs. I remember us reaching out. And at first there were like 20 of us that seemed mm-hmm. to correspond on a regular basis and then and before I actually you knew it, it's just exploded. Right. I actually have some of those lists of things that I printed out of different topics that came up that I was interested in, so I would print them out and so I've got some of the really old ones. <laughs> wow, that's so neat. Yeah, yeah I saved so some of the messages that I wrote that seemed poignant or that I seem to refer to over and over again. I even put them on my website for a while. They're not there anymore. But, yeah, there are some topics that are universal, and they seem to come up over and over again. It is so much fun to talk to you, though, because I remember those early days, and we were all so scared. There were so many uncertainties. We didn't know if our kids were going to be able to go to college. 
college or if they would graduate from high school and what kind of challenges they would face. And look at us now. Both of our kids have college degrees. Your daughter has a master's, which yes, is she just sure does. amazing. And oh. Isn't it amazing? So yeah. we have grown and changed as our children have grown and changed. And what I want to talk about today, though, is how we've grown and changed as advocates. So can you tell me how you've changed as an advocate in the CHD community, Rita? Well, I've become a little more involved, I think. I've always tried to be involved, like through the listservs. And when we first started with the Congenital Heart Defect Awareness Day, Jean Imperetti, she started that. And, of course, right away I wrote a letter to our governor and got a proclamation to make February 14th CHD Awareness Day. It was just a day back then when it first started. And so I was involved with that. And, of course, now that we have Facebook, I'm involved with many of the heart groups on Facebook. I am a co-chairman of the Congenital Heart Walk here in where we live in Harlingen, Texas. And I'm also a board member of the Children's Heart Foundation here in Texas. So uh, Yes, you are. You are a busy woman. <laughs> well, I try to be. <laughs> Well, I love all the different ways that you're involved, and that gives an idea to our listeners of different ways that they can be involved. They can be involved strictly on the Internet, like you're saying, with Facebook or with listservs. There aren't as many listservs around now as there used to be because a lot of people are on Twitter or on Facebook, and that's the way they connect instead of, remember the Yahoo groups that we used to belong to? Yes, I do. There was something a little more personal about that back then. Uh, It was easier to get to know everybody, but this works too. And you reach but out what's to more cool people. about this is all the pictures. We get to see photos of right. the you know web, and I love that. Yeah, remember we used to talk that. about how neat it would be if we could all meet, you know. <laughs> so now we well, can on several, Facebook. Absolutely, but several of us did plan get-togethers. I remember when I was living in Florida, we all met, well, not we all, but Jean Imperati came all the way from Connecticut, her and her family, and we met in Orlando, mm-hmm. and I met Carol Self and her uh-huh. grandson, and yeah, it was really, really neat. It was so exciting to meet so many people, and we were from all over, because I was originally from Texas. We were just in Florida for two years while Frank was in school, but yeah, we did plan get-togethers. I got to meet mm-hmm. Linda and Rob Springham, and some awesome, awesome parents in Florida, and then, of course, here in Texas, I've had a chance to meet more. And you and I have met personally in Austin, which was so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, we met at the state capitol, and so that was really, really cool. So there are so many different ways. I love the way you said that you're involved with the Children's Heart Foundation and you're helping with the congenital heart defect walk. There are so many different ways that parents can get involved and can help raise awareness about congenital heart defects. What we're doing has the potential to save a life, and that is of crucial importance. I agree. Well, we have to take a quick commercial break. I can't believe it's time already, but it is. But don't leave yet because coming up next, we'll talk to Rita's daughter, Victoria, to see why she created a special event for Congenital Heart Defect Awareness Week and what it is. I'll give you a clue. It has something to do with the color we were talking about, and we'll talk about that when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. 
Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today, our topic is Congenital Heart Defect Awareness 2015, and today's guests are Rita and Victoria Scoggins. We just finished talking with Rita about her experience with having a daughter born with a congenital heart defect in the 1980s and how she has become an advocate over the years for the congenital heart defect community. And now we'll turn our attention to Victoria. Victoria Scroggins writes, I was born on March 31st, 1983. I was one month old before my parents knew I had a heart defect. After confirming that I had lost weight, the doctor took a chest x-ray. The next morning, we saw a pediatric cardiologist, and I was diagnosed with tricuspid atresia, hypoplastic right ventricle, coarctation of the aorta, and ventricular and atrial septal defects. I was also in heart failure. We flew to Houston that night, and I had a subclavian repair for my coarctation, and my pulmonary artery was banded. The next several years, we put off the Fontan procedure until it was no longer considered experimental, and I was older and bigger. Before having the Fontan, I was in ballet, tap, and musical performance just with my cousin. I had a hard time keeping up with my peers. In high school, I joined the marching band, like my middle brother had done. I marched my freshman through junior years. I have a master's degree in healthcare administration and have worked with the Veterans Health Administration for five years. Well, welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna, Victoria. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for having me back. I so loved talking to you on the show that we did with Alex and with Mark about extracurricular activities for congenital heart defect survivors. Do you remember doing that with me? Of course. It was a lot of fun and very interesting to hear the other stories of kids like myself. Yeah, it was. I can't believe that was over a year ago already. It went by so fast. But I loved the diversity of the activities that you guys talked about. It gave me so much hope for the younger generation coming up that they could hear a young girl like you being in dance and ballet and musical performance and then listening to Alex talk about robotics and Mark talk about karate. And it seems so normal. And that's what we are hoping to do is to let people know that even though your child may have a heart defect and serious heart defects, all three of you had serious heart defects, that you can still grow up to have a fairly normal childhood and take part in the same activities your cousins, your brothers, your other friends are taking part in. Even if you may have to rest a little bit more, you can still participate in those activities. Yes. It's good to know we can do quote-unquote normal things. (laughs) Yeah, whatever normal (laughs) is, right? (laughs) Exactly. We learn that normal changes as we get older, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I loved your mother's essay, In the Heart of a Mother, because she talked about how you went on your band trip and how you were in Colorado and you were having a little bit of difficulty, but there were two other students who didn't have heart problems who were having just as much or more difficulty than you were. And I thought, see... It doesn't just happen to our heart kids. Everybody has challenges that they have to deal with. We're just way more attuned to what your problems may be. So let me go and talk about your master's degree because I'm so proud of you. I've known you for so many years. I've known you since you were in high school. I think maybe even before that, but your mom and I became really good friends while you were in high school. So can you tell us a little bit more about your journey in college, what you got your bachelor's degree in and where you went to school and all of that? Sure. 
I went to St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas, which is about five hours from my hometown and my family. So that was a big move, not only for myself, but for my family. I had never been that far away. And I'm sure we all were a little apprehensive of what if something goes wrong, what's going to happen, how am I going to handle it, how's our family going to handle it. But I did well, and so I graduated with my bachelor's in business administration, and then I went straight into my master's, and I got that at Texas Women's University, which happened to be right across the street from Texas Children's Hospital, where I was actually treated. So it was it was nice uh, to have Texas Children's right there. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to see the hospital every day for the next three years as I was taking classes <laughs> for um, <laughs> my healthcare administration master's. And so I knew that I wanted to go into the healthcare setting. I always felt comfortable in the hospital setting. I'm sure it had something to do with going in and out of hospital appointments and hospital mm-hmm. stays. So I was comfortable in that atmosphere. The only thing I wasn't comfortable on was needles. So I oh, yeah. had a definite fear <laughs> of needles. And so I talked to my pediatrician about different options that were in the healthcare field. And that's how I was introduced to the business side of healthcare. And that's why I decided oh. to, to pursue my degrees in administration. It, okay. It so that me... explains why you didn't become a nurse or a doctor because the needles <laughs> just kind of made that not No, they aren't my thing. <laughs> I remember your mom telling us about her concern. Your fear of needles was very, very real. And, oh, it you know, is. unfortunately, <laughs> well, yeah, and unfortunately, it's one of those things that, unlike spiders and bugs and stuff like that, that you hopefully don't have to see and you can just get rayed out if you have to. <laughs> Right. No, and no one else can get the blood work done for me either. Right. (laughs) Trust me, I tried. (laughs) Can't call an exterminator. It's not going to work. You just have to do it. And she told us about how you went through a desensitization program where you met with the doctor and. For a while, she just had a needle on the desk, and then she would hold it. And slowly, you started to be able to handle seeing a needle without freaking out. It sounds like maybe you still don't like them, but that's perfectly normal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I try to avoid them at all costs. But, you know, sometimes they're necessary, and so you got to just do it, I guess. Are you you okay with getting... I do. I do get my flu shot. It's more the taking of the blood or IVs, mm. knowing that that needle is going to be in there for longer yeah. than a second. <laughs> right, right. So that's the good thing about the flu shot is it's quick, but and it protects yes. us, so you know that it's kind of necessary. The getting the blood sometimes is necessary too, but you're right, it does definitely take longer. So you chose still to work in the healthcare profession by working in the business end of it, which I think is brilliant. I mean, that's a great way for you to lend your expertise with having to deal with the hospital system and be part of the solution for so many people who require hospitalizations and require the kind of care that you can only get at a hospital. Has it been a rewarding career for you so far? Yes. Originally, I wanted to work in a children's hospital because I thought, you know, that would be the most rewarding. But I work Mm -hmm. for the Veterans Administration, so our mission is to take care of our veterans, and they've Mm -hmm. sacrificed a lot for us. And so I feel just as fulfilled working at the Veterans Administration as I would at a children's hospital. 
Well, that's wonderful. And you're doing your part for the children, especially children born with congenital heart defects, by being an advocate. Can you tell us what you've been doing for the last couple of years to raise awareness? Sure. As you've talked to my mom over the years, you know, she's been a big advocate of congenital heart defect awareness. And I've never been the type of person that wants to put my face out there, wants to let people know that I have a congenital heart defect. I like to be behind the scenes. And so Mm -hmm. I've grown up and I've seen the effects of what awareness can do to increase research, develop new therapies from that research, and sometimes even cures. I know there will probably Mm -hmm. not be a cure for defects, but there are therapies and different medicines we can take that will help us along our journey. And so as I've grown up in this community, I've realized there's a lot of awareness on women's health, heart health, stroke, heart attacks, but there really wasn't anything specific for congenital heart defects. And so last year, I casually mentioned to my mom that we should start an event on Facebook to try to bring awareness to congenital heart defects. And so she, of course, said, well, yeah, why don't you do that? (laughs) And uh, so I, yeah, as simple as that, right? So last year, I created this event at Wear Purple for CHD, congenital heart defects. And we did it again this year. And I've gotten several questions about why I chose the color purple. And some people thought it should have been red or blue. And I just felt that red is overused. It's used for women's heart health and it's associated with the American Heart Association. I wanted something different that represented us. So um, Mm -hmm. I chose purple because as I was growing up, I'm sure my mom has mentioned, I had (laughs) purple lips, purple fingertips, toes, you name it. When I was out of breath, I was purple. And Mm -hmm. so I chose purple, and it was also my favorite color. So it made perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, that makes perfect sense. Okay, well, now everybody else can understand also why we're wearing purple. You're right, there's a whole red dress program with the American Heart Association raising awareness for women and their heart health because that has been an issue in the past that has been sadly overlooked, and now they're doing a great job Mm -hmm. of raising awareness. So you're right. If we did red, it might look like we're talking about women's health. Then we're not. We're talking about kids' health. And so I think purple is a perfect color to raise awareness for congenital heart defects simply because so many of our kids do have the mixing of the blood, which is what makes our children look purple or blue. And so I just, I love that. How many people do you think will be involved this year? And we're talking about 2015, so this just started in 2014. So this will be in the archives. We never know when somebody's going to listen to this, Victoria. So February 2014 is the first year you did it. This is our second year. Tell us how many people you hope will be involved and give us the URL that they can go to to find out more information. Of course. So I'm looking at the Facebook page right now, and currently we have 2,028 that have said they are going to wear purple on February 13th, 2015. Yay! Yeah, I'm very excited. Our goal was 2,000 by the end of the day, and we surpassed that. So I'll set a new goal and hopefully surpass that (laughs) one as well. Um, Right. So... 
I know both my mom and I have reached out to celebrities that we know have come out as being affected in some way with congenital heart defects. And so we've also posted it in different heart pages and on our walls continuously just trying Mm -hmm. to get the word out there about this event. So my vision is for it to go national and maybe even on a talk show or something. That would be awesome. But for this year, they can search on Facebook wear purple for CHD, and in parentheses, congenital heart defects, on February 13th. That's more than enough. I was able to find it really quickly just doing the wear purple. Of course, so many of my friends are your friends. (laughs) (laughs) I know, they get invited several times. Yeah, I had the connection already, but oh my goodness, we're almost out of time. We need to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be back and we'll have you and your mom in the studio together don't leave yet friends we'll have both victoria and rita in the studio together and we'll talk just a little bit more with this wonderful mother and daughter team anna jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event go to heart to heart with anna.com to learn more about booking anna for your event You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. This show has just flown by. I've had so much fun talking to both Rita and Victoria All three of us are in the studio together right now. We only have a minute left, girls. So I want to ask both of you one important question. Rita, I would like to know, how important do you think it is for parents to stay involved in the CHD community even after their heart children become adults? Well, I think it's really important because, like you mentioned, that this is for children, but really it's also for our adults because those children do grow up to be adults and Advocacy never and awareness never need to end for them either. Mm-hmm. So. Right, right. And our kids, as they get older, face new challenges. And the way that we can stay abreast of that is by being connected, by continuing to rally for support so that medical science can stay at least a step ahead, hopefully more than a step ahead of where our kids are, so that they can continue to get the medical care they need. Don't you think? Correct, Definitely. Okay, so Victoria, how important do you think it is for a person who was born with a heart defect to help spread awareness? It sounds like you were a little bit late in getting to it. You sound like my son, Alex. He'd rather work (laughs) behind the scenes than be the face of congenital heart defects. But now it seems like you're not so shy about doing it and you're happy to get yourself out there. How important is that for survivors? Well, I think we have a personal connection with congenital heart defects, and so I think telling our friends, telling our family members about our experiences with living with this will help bring the story home and bring that awareness Mm -hmm. that is needed. That's perfect. That's beautifully said. Yes. You may not want to be the poster child for congenital heart defects, but you're stories bring a personal touch that everybody can relate to. Well, thank you so much, Rita and Victoria. I loved having you on the show today. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Enjoyed it. 
Well, that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. We will have a link to the Wear Purple campaign. It will be under the bio section, so look there. It'll be real easy. But otherwise, if you go on Facebook and just put Wear Purple 2015, it's so easy to find Victoria's page. And everybody do it. Wear Purple on February 13th. Take a picture of yourself, put it on your Facebook page, and encourage everyone else to do it. And come back next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, find and like us. Heart to Heart with Anna on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show, and remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.